Daniel chapter 6, uh, verses 16 through 26 is what I'll be reading. Then these men came as a throng to the king and said to the king, Remember, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or edict which the king issues may be altered. So the king gave the order, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the lion's den. Now the king spoke to Daniel, saying, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. A stone was brought to block the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles, so that nothing could be, tra- could be changed regarding Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him. He was unable to sleep. At dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he reached the den, he cried out to Daniel with a voice of anguish. The king spoke out to Daniel, saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve continually, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel spoke to the king, May the king live forever. May my God send his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they haven't harmed me, because I was found innocent before him. Nor have I committed any crime against you, O king. Then the king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel taken up out of the den. So Daniel was lifted out of the pit. No injury of any kind was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. They had not even reached the bottom of the pit before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages dwelling in all the earth, May your peace be abundant. Thank you, Tracy. This is a fairly long chapter, and so I'm going to weave in and out of different parts of it, so hang on tight. Um, Wanted to, first of all, pause for a word of prayer. Lord God, we uh, look at this very, very, very familiar story, and uh, we pray, Lord, that your word will come alive through these uh, familiar details. Lord God, we um, pray that each of us would learn what it is you want us to learn through the story and uh, the lessons in it. And so we invite you, Lord God, to speak to us in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I just wanted to alert you, those of you that are going to pass by as I stand at the uh, greeter station in the back. If I look a little funny, uh, it's not because there's something wrong with your face. Um, It simply is because um, a few weeks ago I uh, forgot that I'm no longer 16 and uh, shoveled about a foot of snow. And since then, I've had significant conversations with my back, which wasn't particularly happy. And at least for me, the drill is to go see the chiropractor. And uh, you know how it is when you are not feeling grandly. Your initial thought is, make the pain go away. I want to feel better. 
Um, and at some point, some degree of spiritual sanity began to filter. And um, I began to realize that, you know, maybe God is certainly capable of bringing healing to me. You know, he created the universe. And uh, I've experienced that before. And furthermore, the chiropractor and I have the opportunity to talk about all sorts of details that pertain to the Jewish community. Um, with a name like David Friedman, you can understand it, that um, his ethnicity. And uh, so the last couple of times I came, I realized, you know, Maybe what this is about is not merely my back getting better, but maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something through, through this interaction. So I began to pray more seriously. And so we've had the conversations while he's uh, doing his violence to my back. And uh, then he puts me on the rack uh, which is a wonderful experience. If if you haven't had it, you should try it. Um, and so he puts me in the rack, leaves, and and then uh, I realized, you know, this is an opportunity for me to pray for the guy. So I've been doing that. You know, it's it's a little um, distracting as the gizmo works back and forth. However. Um, the Lord really tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, this guy needs to know Yeshua. And I'm not the one who's going to make it happen. I'm just the mouthpiece. So that's my expectation. And over a period of time, I have learned that all of life's circumstances provide a stage or a platform upon which God can do his wonderful work. And you know, we are so typically self-consumed that when difficulties come, our basic thought pattern is, I'm having a problem, the problem has to be fixed, it has to be fixed today or sooner. Forgetting the fact that as sons and daughters of God, we are not alone and that the Almighty God is engaged in working with us, doing wonderful things through all kinds of life circumstances. In fact, my conviction over the years has become that God does some of his finest work as we go through the wilderness, through the desert, the difficult experiences. Why? Because the desert, folks, is quiet. And there's less noise. And there's less water. There's less food, which means we, are, we experience a greater degree of desperation, first of all, for things, and then we get it that what really needs to happen is a greater degree of desperation for us to experience God more fully. And we get it. Light bulb goes off and we... Well, it goes on, excuse me. 
And, uh, and so we learn to seek it. And, and the truth is, none of us, I, I don't think any of us here, is a masochist. I don't think any of us really enjoys pain, you know, that, that difficult circum- circumstances come and we say, yes, praise God, I love this pain. Give me more. Being humans, we groan and grit our teeth. Uh, but at some point, the Word of God clicks in and becomes part of our DNA or part of our operating system, depending on what metaphor you want to use. And we begin to understand that what life is about is not merely us and what we do, what we don't do, but rather what God does in our life, in us and through us. And then we welcome that. We welcome that because we realize that that's really what life is about. And we learn to recognize the fact that it's okay for us to take a back seat. In fact, like John the Immerser, John the Baptist, we get the fact that at some point we need to say to God, God, you must increase and I must decrease. Again, not that we're masochists and we want to uh, do it like the penitentists or, or the the uh, Shiites beat ourselves, etc. But simply recognize the fact that the fulfillment and the joy in life is as God increases and fills the screen and it's less of us. And so when we look at this very familiar story, what comes to mind simply is <clears throat> these guys were after Daniel they were jealous, probably. They came up to the king and talked the king into coming up with, with this funky law. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. God sees to it that he is not lion chow. And he comes out, end of story. I don't think very many of us really give much attention to the story beyond those very basic details. And yes, they're there. We obviously have to understand them. Um, So I want to dive just a bit more into the details so that hopefully we have a clear picture of what's really going on here. Now, you may or may not realize that Daniel is no spring chicken at this point. He's probably somewhere up in his 80s. Um, for most people, that would be retirement, long past retirement age. And yet, Daniel is high up in the kingdom. He is one of three administrators administrators ruling this massive empire from from the Middle East all the way to India. That's a big chunk. And as an administrator, you can imagine that he doesn't sit home, watch TV, and eat bonbons. He's a busy guy. And furthermore, the passage tells us that he's superb in what he does. He is exquisite. 
You know, and, and, and this is something, by the way, a soapbox here. Uh, sometimes I run into believers who have the notion of God loves me and he's going to give me all kinds of grace. Therefore, I don't have to work as hard and uh, dot all the, the I's and cross all the T's. You don't see that with Daniel. They They apparently searched high and low and checked him out. And got all kinds of information, uh, and they find that there's no corruption, which, by the way, in that kind of a culture, not to have corruption is big stuff. And and he is efficient and trustworthy, and um, they have observed him, that this is the guy who is very much devoted to, to his God. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly the very beginning how they knew that, but, you know, uh, probably talked to his neighbors or who knows what. And there is a conspiracy, a real conspiracy, folks. These uh, uh, satraps, the, 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 uh, the various officials and administrators gather together in order to set up a trap for Daniel. You can imagine how much time and energy was involved in, in trying to come up with some kind of a, of a trap um, to get Daniel. Part of the picture, if we step back for a minute and make a, an application for ourselves, you, you can understand that as we are in in the world in all its different forms, whether whether it's at work or at school, whether it's our interactions with our neighbors, <clears throat> that we pursue a basic set of goals and, and realities and values that are, for the most part, in opposition to the values of the world. In some ways, it feels like we are swimming upstream and that there is a basic sense of pushback to our goals and our desires. Now, this is not to promote paranoia, although they're after us. But sooner or later, sooner or later in our pursuit of the kingdom of, the kingdom of God, uh, our pursuing wanting to serve God, we're going to have some pushback. Uh, today, tomorrow, sometimes it doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes we we have uh, good affirmation and appreciation by people around us. And by the way, that's something that the Lord has given us as a congregation with the traditional Jewish community over the last few years. And that's a, a, clearly a God a God thing, uh, a God given. Um, we have been able to make all kinds of connections and be able to have um, uh, build bridges over uh, common issues. But we also understand the simple fact that because of our commitment to Yeshua, sooner or later, there'll be some kind of opposition. You know, whether it's someone at work who sees us and 
is jealous and wants our position, um, whether it's someone in our community uh, who is part of the uh, HOA who uh, stirs trouble against us, who knows? Uh, the possibility is there, and that happens with Daniel. They find that he prays, so they find a trap. And they set up a trap that is very bizarre. Uh, I say it's bizarre because the Persians didn't normally operate that way. The Persians were much more tolerant than the Babylonians. Their attitude was basically live and let live. You know, we'll embrace you into our empire. In fact, if you read in Ezra, uh, chapter 6 and chapter 8, uh, the king there actually says, I want to send you guys so that you would strengthen and establish your temple so that you would be praying to your God on my behalf so that he wouldn't be angry at me. He kind of understood that. Um, he still continued with his religion, which, by the way, was Zoroastrianism. Um, but normally, the kings, the Persian kings were not interested in trying to squeeze people under them into their, into their religion. Um, somehow, for some reason, the officials who hate Daniel are able to sweet-talk the king. You know how it is sometimes. And they get him to agree to a cockamamie law that basically says nobody can pray to anything or anybody except for the king. And Darius is showing very poor judgment. He's caught off guard. And he passes the law. Again, not terribly surprising that Daniel runs into challenges and difficulties because Yeshua tells us that that would be the case for all of us. Um, Yeshua tells us, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And yes, God gives us favor with people. But the world system as, as a system is opposed to the spiritual set of values that we have. <clears throat> and the Word of God tells us that we should not be harassed because of our lack of proper behavior, but rather that if we do suffer, it can only be for us to suffer for the sake of Yeshua. And even then, this is verse Peter 4.19, even then, those who suffer according to God's will will commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, even when you run into difficulty where, where you are pressed, mostly because you are a follower of Yeshua, you still don't freak and you still don't get into all kinds of... Uh, self-induced um, ideas and strategies in order to try and get yourself out of it. But you learn, you learn to trust God. And by the way, just for the sake of 
a little reality check. You know, we often complain about the challenges that we as believers face in this country. Um, I hope, I think, everybody has been following up in the news and is aware of what's going on in the Middle East with fellow believers who are beheaded and crucified for the sake of Yeshua. So when we quetch, when we moan and complain loudly about how awful things are, it's good for us to step back and remember that, you know, maybe there are folks who are our fellow believers who have it much worse than we do. But in any event, how do you handle a situation where you feel yourself totally pressed? Now, because all of us are humans, I, I, don't, I don't see any Klingons here. <clears throat> we all have an element of fear. We have fear buttons. Some of that is normal. God knows that. Um, if, if we had no fear at all, we would be conveying the fact that we're basically psychotic. That we're t so totally out of touch with reality that nothing's going to bother us. Well, uh, that's not reality. All of us, to one degree or another, have fear buttons that get pushed from time to time. Now, I can't imagine Daniel in his position as an 80-year-old man um, recognizing what is taking place. This is the guy who has served the Lord from the time he was itzy, well, still in Israel, then brought to Babylon, and now under the rule of the Persian king. Um, I can't imagine what that would be like. And uh, Lion's Den, by the way, was not s something that you can finagle and maneuver your way around. There was a fairly narrow opening, and it was sealed, so that once you were thrown in it, there was no way of getting out, especially if you're an 80-year-old man, especially in a situation where you know that the, the lions are very hungry. They're not given lion chow uh, and then people are thrown in. No, they are kept hungry and then the folks are thrown in. And so Daniel comes and he prays. He prays. He, pray, he goes upstairs, this is in verse 10, this chapter, he goes upstairs to his room, has the window open towards Jerusalem. Now, in his shoes, I would have probably closed the windows, closed the drapes, and uh, made sure nobody saw me. And, and prayed maybe under my voice, two or three times during the day, but three times? Again, remember, this guy is extremely busy. And what does he pray? Does he start off with, God, get me out of here! As I think most of us would do. He doesn't. He doesn't. He begins with thanksgiving like we referred earlier to Gary Dickinson, for whom that was a mantra. Are you giving thanks? Are you, at least for me, I would want to say, why on earth would I want to give thanks in this kind of situation? 
Give thanks for what? That there's a bunch of people who hate me, who come and complain to the king, who come up with this trap, who are preparing something that is going to be very awful. Why does he give thanks? He gives thanks for two reasons, folks. First of all, because giving thanks to God is the right and proper thing. That's part of our currency with God. That's part of our relationship with God. Or you can say that the tracks of our relationship with God run on thanksgiving. That is why, folks, we devote so much time each Shabbat to praise and worship. Because that has to be the beginning of the process of what it is that we get from God on a given Shabbat. And it is our deep, deep, deep conviction, folks, that <clears throat> as we worship God, that the Spirit of God will come and do some amazing stuff with us. And if you're someone who has a hard time getting mobile on Shabbat morning, let me encourage you to pray and ask God for a special miracle, not only to bring you here, but to bring you here with your clothes and your brain more or less together so that you come and, and you are somewhat prepared to worship God. And yes, I, it's my hope and expectation that all of us provide chunks in our weekly schedule for opportunities for us to have one-on-one -on -one with God in which we say, Lord, thank you for who you are. You did something wonderful back here. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was a couple of days ago. I see your hand at work and I give you thanks. That you are living God. You're alive and well. You are engaged with me. You care. And you have the power to do stuff. That's appropriate. That, that, that brings joy to the heart of God. But it also, it's important for us. Why? Think about it. If all you can see, if what fills your screen is, is this mountain of difficulties where you, you feel like you are... Um, running a rat race like, like you are uh, a mouse spinning around this, uh, around this wheel, it doesn't do much for your sanity, folks, does it? By the way, I read in, in the paper today uh, about this latest trend uh, that is called mindlessness. Um... I'm serious. My, I'm sorry, mindfulness. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty close. <clears throat> mindfulness. Yeah, where you uh, sit and you have an instructor giving you some basic thoughts and ideas and you detach all the uh, stress from the week or two weeks and just kind of sit there and not quite meditation. It's what I would call meditation light. Why? Because people recognize, folks, that we live in a Meshuggi world. 
we have more stuff flying at us than we are really capable of catching. We don't have a mitt big enough to catch all the stuff that's flying at us. Sensory overload. And so Thanksgiving, folks, is a simple reminder, hey, maybe God is still in control and maybe I don't have to spin my wheels like an idiot trying to fix everything and maybe I can just let go and say, God, your problem. And that begins with thanksgiving even as you are considering the probability that someone is going to take you and toss you in with a bunch of lions. Now that's pretty extreme. <clears throat> I don't see anybody here who has been um, threatened with being a lion's chow recently. But I know enough about the stories of Amishpacha, you know, the cancers, the, the problems with work, family issues, um, to realize that there's so much that's crowding into our brain, our heart and mind, that we are just overwhelmed by it. And so that's why stopping and giving thanks is so huge. Because what happens then is the mountain of difficulties in front of us tends to shrink. I mean, it, it's not as if God puts us in a bubble or puts us in a spaceship or beams us up immediately. We have no difficulties, but the point is <clears throat> we, experience, we experience His shalom. Secondarily, then Daniel pleased with God. He pleased with God for the Lord to get him out of the situation. You know, he's dealing with reality. Now, I, I consider the fact that Daniel, at this point, is, as I mentioned earlier, was about in his 80s, and we read about the lion's den, we read about um, the dreams that he interpreted from the kings. The truth is, all of that was relatively few events that took place in those 70 or 75 years. A lot of life for Daniel was simply putting one foot forward in front of the other and pointing, their, pointing his nose towards the Lord. And maintaining this habit of seeking God. So that in this situation, he's not like the atheist at the fo fox, in the foxhole, but he has this intimate connection with God. He's able to talk to him. And by the way, it's been said that you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a lifetime. So as we learn to depend on God in heavy or light circumstances, then when we come into difficult situations, 
We have a basic sense of conviction and confidence that the Lord has things covered. Now again, all of us will experience some fear. But it's not the kind of fear that dominates and paralyzes us. Because our faith, our confidence in the Lord is greater. Interestingly enough, the king somehow knows that. Um, he, a couple of times in verse 16, says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. You can see that the king here is really rooting for Daniel. And um, how did he know that? Well, Daniel was around him enough, served the king enough, talked to the king enough to where the king realizes that maybe there's a chance here that Daniel's king would pull him out of this. So, like Daniel, we find ourselves in difficult circumstances sometimes. Sometimes it is us, sometimes it's other people, sometimes we make mistakes and we fail. But through all of it, we learn to put the, the focus and the priority in their proper place. That's not us, it's God. So, w what is odd here is that you see this guy, Darius, we don't, we don't see that he really becomes a believer in, in the God of Israel per se, although stuff comes out of his mouth. You see some of his action in, in taking the conspirators and having them thrown into the, into the lion's den along with their kids and family. But the king is very much invested in this. He's sleepless. He, he doesn't eat. He, doesn't, he refuses entertainment. And he comes at the crack of dawn to Daniel, uh, to this lion's den, and he yells out, Daniel, are you still around? And when Daniel speaks, he's overjoyed. It's very odd that this, this uh, pagan king is so invested in seeing to it that Daniel is somehow safe. And somehow he recognizes that what's involved here is the action of the God of Israel, Daniel's, Daniel's God. Now what's, what I find very peculiar is that this guy is a pagan. He believes in the, uh, the Persian gods, and yet he has some basic clue that maybe the God of Israel is superior. <clears throat> and so he sees that Daniel's alive. Daniel puts it out <clears throat> and, and tells the king that his God sent his messengers, and they kept the mouth of the lion shut. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to have seen that. Wouldn't you? 
you know, the hungry lions, and somehow um, there's, there's a, uh, a clamp on their mouth. So for us, what really makes the difference here is mostly is the fact that lion, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, uh, spent the night there, wasn't real comfortable, but at, at the end of the night, he's pulled out. End of story. Well, he really isn't, folks. And as I read and reread that, what jumped out at me is the fact that God's goal here, now please hear me, God's goal here was not to get Daniel out of the lion's den. Now, I'm not minimizing that. Daniel had to be pulled out of the lion's den. <clears throat> but God's goal here was to demonstrate who he is to this pagan king. And we saw that with Nebuchadnezzar, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that getting those guys out of the furnace is no big deal. In fact, the way the scripture describes both of the events, it's very clear that, that these guys didn't come out with their, barely by the skin of their teeth. Both with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and here in Daniel, it's very clear that nothing close, nothing of evil came close to them. With the, th with the three Hebrews, not even a smell of fire came to them. With Daniel, there was, not, there was not a scratch anywhere on him. Because for God, it was no big deal. <clears throat> and so what we see here is that not only Daniel states very clearly, God sent his angel, he shot the mouths of the lion. This is verse 21. <clears throat> but we see that Darius pronounces the greatness of the God of Israel in a way that is amazing, that is very clear that he has been impacted by the connection that he's had with Daniel. He makes some amazing statements about who God is. Verse 25 and 26 I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And you want to say, okay, Darius, where did you get that? Well, I can tell you where he got it. The second part of this testimonial. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders. In the heavens and on the earth, he's rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. This guy is spiritually astute, and he's able to go from Daniel was saved from the lion's den to the God of Israel, does that as he does that every single day. It's part of his routine. And furthermore, he's a living God, and furthermore, he's alive and will stay forever. Amazing how that Darius <clears throat> is able to extrapolate and make those connections. Now, the other thing that jumped out at me 
is whenever you see the, the, the phrase signs and wonders in the Tanakh and the Old Testament, that's not the book of Acts. That's Exodus and Exodus from Egypt. How does Darius know that? Well, obviously, Daniel has had some kind of connection with him. And he's heard and he gets it that the God of Israel is the God who performs signs and wonders, things that are extraordinary and beyond our understanding. The end of the story here in verse 28 is simply this, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Prosperity, by the way, has not nothing to do per se with how slick and skilled he was. It has to do with the fact that, that God's favor is on his life. Now, if we were to pull all these things together, what I hope comes out, out of all of this is that we live in a society and a world system that is opposed to God's values. And that sooner or later, we will experience that in ways that are sometimes small, sometimes major. And we can go into a fight or flight syndrome you know, palpitations of the heart and sweaty palms and, and um, doing loop-a-loops in our brain, trying to come up with possible scenarios, or we stop and we have a chat with our Father, our Heavenly Father. And basically say, Lord, you're seeing what's going on here. You're seeing what's going on. You have a plan you're capable of getting me out of the lion's den. But I want so much more. I want so much more. I want you to be honored and, and glorified, meaning to be put on a pedestal so that through this experience, what happens isn't simply that I emerge unscathed, but what comes out first and, so and foremost is the fact that other people see what you're doing in me and they are highly impressed and drawn by that. Amen. Folks, that's really the goal, God's goal, and I, it is my fervent hope that that will also be your goal because that's what Yeshua said. Let your good works Let your light shine that men may see your good works. Why? And think you're cute and clever? No. But give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what, what we want. So let's pause and pray. Father God, we thank you for the confidence that you give us that you know our circumstances, you know us intimately, you know our struggles, you know our fears. Thank you, Lord, that you're greater than all of that. 
And Lord God, we pray for the confidence, for the bold faith, for the holy chutzpah to trust you that you're well able to take care of our needs. And that as we seek you, your kingdom, your righteousness, that all these things will be added to us. We desire, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see you at work and to give you the honor, Lord, that that would become the central focus of our life. Pray, Lord God, that you speak to each one of us, cause us to see what that looks like practically in our life today, Lord. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.